Hey, Kim. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. Yes, it's great to be back. I really appreciate it. So this is this is your show too, because you helped me find this guest. Yes, I'm so happy to have this guest on today. So uh, for those of you out there, we are going to be talking about tea, some of the best tea you're ever going to have. It is single origin. It is whole leaf tea. It is hand-picked. It is sustainable, and it's just coming to your door. Exactly. So today we have from Uproot Teas, the founder and CEO, or TEO as I like to call her, Cindy Lee. Oh, and before I forget, she is also offering listeners of the Infatuation Podcast a discount just in time for the holidays. So you can order from uprootteas.com and use the code ASIANPOD10 and you'll save 10% off your order. Yeah, so I hope you enjoy this episode on tea. And always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 59. We have a returning guest today, but this time she is my co-host. You guys should remember her from our talk about the Chinese Historical Society of America. It's Kim Zito. Hey, Kim. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. Thanks for I guess I didn't scare you away the first time. You're back for more. <laughs> So yeah, so today we are talking about tea, one of my favorite beverages. Uh, it's such an ancient drink. I think, I don't know, Sydney, you might have to correct me here, but it's over 5,000 years old around there or so? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's great to be here, Curtis and Kim. I'm Cindy. For those of you who have never heard of me and my company, Uproot Teas, I partner directly with small family farms in different regions to handcraft loose leaf teas in small batches. I'm also Chinese American and tea is a big part of Chinese culture and a lot of <laughs> cultures around the world. And so I grew up really loving it and drinking and never quite expected to work in the field. But here we are about a year into uh, having launched a tea company. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for doing the intro for me. Uh, you're coming from Boulder, California? I'm sorry, uh, Boulder, uh, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I actually live in a small mountain town uh, about 30 minutes west of Boulder. Fun fact. So my dad grew up in Denver, and I had a oh, couple cool. a couple uncles go to CU Boulder. And nice. I got so we got some chins over in the Boulder area still. So shout out to Joe, Lisa, and Kaylin. We got <laughs> some uh, we got some roots down in Boulder. That's cool. Okay, what's what's your relationship with tea? You said you like it, but uh, did you grow up drinking it? Have you fell fall in love with it more lately? Yeah, I think I've yeah definitely grown up drinking a lot of tea as a Chinese American. Uh, my mom loves tea, um, especially tenren tea. If you guys know tenren. And I pretty much drink tea every day in different forms, whether it's like green tea. Green tea is my favorite. Um, I also love like boba milk tea, but you know, that's a lot of sugar and calories. So I tend to make it home now. I make, I like make it with a black tea, milk, um, water, brown sugar, things like that. Um, and it doesn't have as big calories and sugar as um, the stores outside. And that's kind of 
where I'm at now. Um, but I do love different types of teas. I love mixing my teas. Um, I'm that person. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Like I'm, I'm really sensitive to caffeine, so I'll I'll do a coffee if I really have to. But tea is my drink of choice. I think you know a cup of tea in the morning, then maybe one in the afternoon, and I, I'm not jittery. You know, the caffeine is just smoother to me. The I guess it's like the antioxidants kind of smooth it out a little bit. So it's not as as jolting as coffee. Now some people, I'm not going to knock anyone who loves coffee, but yeah, I, I I'm a big tea fan. So this was a this was a no brainer to come along and talk to Cindy. As she said, she is the CEO of Uproot Teas. Uh, we'll talk more about the company in a minute. But Cindy, let's talk about you for a second. Uh, kind of what's your what's your background? What's your origin story? You're Chinese American, but where were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents immigrated. Um, actually, a fun fact is my mom was unknowingly pregnant with me when she boarded the plane to come to California for the <laughs> first time. She was by herself and she had, it was her first time on an airplane. So she got the worst airplane sickness. She was, oh, no. you know, sick the whole 12 or 14 hours of a flight. And she lands in California um, and she was actually there for work. And weirdly, every single morning, she continued to throw up. <laughs> and after a few weeks, she finally went to the doctor and realized she was a few months pregnant. And so she was faced with the decision of whether to stay in the U.S. and have a second child or return to China where there was still the one-child policy and uh, get an abortion. Oh no, and so yeah. she decided to stay. And then <laughs> the rest of my family came um, right before I was born. Wow. So... Yeah, so that's how I got to California. I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and like I said, my parents drink a lot of tea at home and they would always, you know, come back from visits to China with suitcases full of really yummy loose leaf tea because they couldn't find the same quality tea in the U.S. Um, so that was really where my my love for tea started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it starts young. <laughs> <laughs> Let me transition us into a little tea trivia. Uh, I'm a science teacher by day, and so I have a couple tea questions. And uh, don't be don't be embarrassed if you don't know these. I, I dug kind of deep for these. <laughs> oh, fun! I'm excited. All right, let's test my tea knowledge. <laughs> well, yeah, Kim, you get to play along too. All right. Uh, so this is, I think you'll know, but this is a little bit of a trick question. Uh, so we were talking about caffeine a minute ago. So which has more caffeine, tea or coffee? He said it was a trick question. So is well, it tea? <laughs> well, there's actually no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. Yeah. Cindy, Dina? I think it depends. Yeah, I'll give right. my best explanation. Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends on a lot of factors. So I'll start with the, the commodity itself. So if you break open a coffee bean, also depending on the way that it's processed, so roasted versus unroasted and roasted depth, that also affects the caffeine level, although I don't know as much about coffee. And similarly with tea, based on the oxidation level, a certain amount of caffeine will get released as well. But the biggest difference is actually in the steeping and brewing process. So if you're steeping tea for a really long time, 
um, even a white tea could release more caffeine into your cup than a coffee if you leave it in for a really, really long time. <laughs> so I think it depends a lot on the processing as well as the preparation. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not going to argue with the CEO of a tea company. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, well, what it is is per weight, like if you just weighed out coffee and you weighed out tea, uh, tea would have more, but you just use less to make one cup of tea. I don't know, do you like a certain amount of grams, right? So it's like you mm -hmm, use about mm -hmm. three times as much coffee just to make one cup of coffee. So for right. example, a cup of tea might have 70, 40 to 70 milligrams of caffeine per cup and a cup of coffee might be 100 or 200, but you're using three times as much coffee to make that cup of coffee. So you're right, definitely right, right, right on that one. All right, good job. You both get a point for that one. Okay. <laughs> now this one, this is this is a long question, uh, a long buildup for a short question. All right. So tea around the world is known by two basic names, right? There's tea and there's cha or chai, right? And so tea comes from the Fujianese uh, pronunciation adopted by the Dutch, and so it's spread around Europe mostly as tea or teh. And then cha is the Mandarin pronunciation, which got spread through the Silk Road. So it's mostly in Asia, will be called cha, and then it hits India and becomes chai. Persia, Slavic regions, you know, and Russia even uses the cha or chai pronunciation. So basically, if you got your tea by, by sea, you called it tea. If you got your tea by land, you called it cha or chai. There's one exception to this. What country in Western Europe uses the cha pronunciation? <laughs> I want to say Portugal. Say, yeah, I want to say Portugal. You're right. <laughs> yeah, in Portuguese, it's pronounced cha um, yeah. because of Macau. It was they got their tea from Macau, which is a Cantonese-speaking region, and so yeah, they they kept that. But the rest of Europe, the rest of Western Europe, calls it tea or te. But Portugal mm -hmm. or Brazil is the only one who uses the the child pronunciation. All right, good job. Two for two, Kim Zito and Cindy Lee. Good job, yeah, good job. It's, it's funny because um, actually on Uproot's Instagram, our amazing social media intern put together a graphic about this exact, um, this exact uh, anecdote. And so I remember from her graphic that Portuguese was shot. It stands out, yeah. It's like all the way on the west there, but it uh, goes with the eastern pronunciation. All right, last one. Why is panda tea so expensive? Have you ever heard of panda tea? What's panda tea? It's about uh, $3,500 per pound or about $200 per cup. Oh, wow. What, what kind of tea is it? Uh, it is from the Yan Mountain region of Sichuan, China. Mm. I might give you a clue. Is it because it's grown in super high mountains? That it is, but there's something else special about it. Ooh, is it aged like four? It's how they fertilize it. Panda. Yeah, <laughs> they really? fertilize it with panda dung. Yeah, so uh, it turns out that pandas have that high vegetarian diet, right? And so they yeah. 
they only are able to process like 30% of the, the nutrients from the bamboo mm-hmm. that they eat. So they're pooping Lots out. Of fiber. Yeah, they're pooping out a lot of good nutrients. And those nutrients really encourage the, the tea to grow. And that tea uh-huh. has a unique flavor and it's chock full of nutrients. And so, yeah, it came on the market in April of 2012 and is. Arguably wow. one of the most expensive teas in the world, and people people love it. So panda dung tea. Wow. I gotta get my hands on some of that. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It's gonna cost you, but you might have to fly out too. It's a uh, yeah, the Yan region of Sichuan, China. All right, you guys did well on wow. that. Congratulations on passing the tea trivia quiz. All right, let's talk a little uproot teas. Uh, so the tagline on your website is Uproot Teas, real leaves you can see, single origin and whole leaf teas straight from the farms to your door, rooted in taste and transparency. So mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there. Can you help us unpack that a little bit? What what does single origin mean? Yeah, great question. So single origin broadly means that this product is coming from one region And that can get as specific as a single country or a specific region within that country or even a specific farm. So at Uproot Teas, we take that to the most specific definition, meaning that each tea comes from its own specific farm. Mm. So we are really proud to have three different amazing farm partners. And we work directly with the farmers who are growing and producing the teas themselves. And the, really the importance of having single origin within tea or really any commodity product is a high degree of traceability and transparency in where this tea is coming from. Hmm. Now, compared to other, you know, bigger corporations um, that have been a long, you know, a, a longstanding um, supplier within the tea industry, they might be sourcing their black tea from a hundred different farms around the world, Mm. taking it all into one factory space and then mixing it all together. Um, The mixing itself is not, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but what ends up happening is that, you know, if there's a bad crop coming from one out of a hundred of those farms they're sourcing from, it's going to contaminate the rest of it. Um, So there there could be a health uh, hazard there. But other reasons could be that the quality is not the same or the taste profiles are not the same. So in mixing it, you're not really able to get to know the tea and not furthermore, not getting to know the backstory of the farmer and where the tea is coming from. So that's why single origin is important to us. Yeah. So, so you really have no idea what's in that tea bag when you're drinking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so how did you find these farms? You said you work with three main farms? Yes, yeah, we have three amazing farm partners. Um, each one I have a special connection to. So starting with our farm in Hawaii, um, I actually was working on a tea farm on Maui when I first got interested in starting a tea business. I wanted to learn more about the hands-on production process and what it takes to grow really good tea sustainability in the modern age. Um, so that was a fascinating experience. And through that, I got to know all of the farms across Hawaii. And I chose to work with um, a woman named Eva, who's a farmer on the big island. And she has these beautiful tea gardens that are really 
well integrated in the natural rainforest and it's just it's really really beautiful and she just says great things in sustainable regenerative agriculture and her teas have won key awards worldwide and so when I tasted them I just knew I wanted to carry some of the teas that she was producing so that was our first farm partner and then through some uh, connections I made in Hawaii um, a farmer actually had some friends in Japan to introduce me to, and they have a small tea garden right outside of Kyoto. So all of our uh, green teas are from that farm partner as well. And then lastly, when I was in college, I went to college in New Hampshire, and I volunteered on an organic farm there and got to know some of the farms in the area. And I had heard about one particular farm in Vermont that grew this amazing chamomile, and if they have these really beautiful whole chamomile blossoms that they produce. So, you know, a lot of people have had chamomile tea before in their lives, but rarely do people actually get to see the chamomile blossoms in their full flower form. Mm -hmm. And I got to try some of that and it was just so delicious. I had to partner with them as well. And so <laughs> that's how I, yeah, that's how I got connected with these three farmers. Now, is it is it much like wine where where the land is matters as much as the plant, as much oh, as the farm? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. So people, you know, within tea, within wine, coffee, and chocolate kind of talk about the terroir being a big factor in it. And that's absolutely true with tea as well. Yeah, very cool. So um, we'd also want to talk about transparency with your tea if you want to go a little bit more into that. Yes, Absolutely. Um, so a lot of the transparency that I like to emphasize is one, direct trade partnerships with all of our farmers. So direct trade means that instead of going through a bunch of middle people through the supply chain, having importers, exporters, distributors, you know, auction houses being involved, we are working instead with the farmer and the producer themselves. And that allows for a lot higher degree of transparency because not only are, do we know exactly how much the farmers are getting paid for their product and their labor, but also uh, we can trace better where the tea's been um, to also reduce contaminants in the tea um, or impurities in the tea as well. And so uh, one kind of secret not so secret, but also secret in the tea industry is that a lot of <laughs> you know tea bags that come from big tea corporations, they take so long to get the tea from where it was grown to the end consumer. It could take, you know, years for that to happen. And so in the process, the tea is degrading and losing flavor as it's being traded hands. And um, by the time that it's getting packaged for the consumer, the tea might have lost so much flavor that the company ends up adding additives. So flavor additives or oils in order to enhance and bring out more flavor in the tea. Um, so one major benefit in terms of flavor and quality of having direct trade, transparent partnerships with the farmers themselves is that everything is a lot faster. It's a shorter supply chain. Consumers are getting them faster and they're able to actually experience the tea the way that they were intended to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, I think, something that a lot of our customers really get to experience when they try our teas for the first time. You know, I get a lot of comments, um, especially from one of our teas, uh, which is called a Makai Black Tea, and it's from our Hawaii farm partner. And that one in particular, a lot of people are shocked to hear when I, you know, I'm doing samples 
they're shocked to hear that I haven't added any sweet things to the tea. Mm. They, you know, people think I've added sugar or honey or syrup to it, when in fact, the tea leaves just actually have this very natural sweetness to it that isn't overpowering or overwhelming, but there's definitely a little hint of sweetness and um people tell me all the time they've never had black tea taste like that before. Mm-hmm. And and you know exactly what's going into it. Like you like you've been mm-hmm. on the farms, you've seen the hands that pick it, and then by the time it gets to you, are are you are you packing it in house almost? Like Yeah, yeah. So I actually I work with a lot of local partners um here around Colorado to help me pack the teas. When I first launched, so around this time last year, I was hand packing everything myself. <laughs> Um, luckily I don't have to do that, you know, alone in the middle of the night anymore, but, uh, I have, yeah, I've been actually recently, um, worked with a local, um, Thai family. Uh, I have a, a friend whose family runs some Thai restaurants, um, around the Denver area and just with a lot of COVID challenges, their, uh, restaurant hasn't been able to operate at the capacity that they used to. And because restaurants have, you know, certified food safe, um, food kitchen, commercial kitchen spaces, um, they are able to package any kind of food product. And so I've actually partnered with them so that um, they're able to package all of the teas for me. And in turn, they're able to, you know, generate some additional income as well as they're going through a really tough time with COVID amongst other things. So there's no giant machines. There's no like robots no. doing this. There's a family no. in Colorado doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think just to also kind of add on to that, I remember that first box you sent me like a year ago and I was just like, yep, this is packaged mm-hmm. by Cindy. <laughs> it's very cute. You can tell like, you know, you put your effort into it. And like, I remember the tape too. The tape was the cutest thing. Um, yeah. And Something else that I also want to point out is the sustainability aspect of your uh, business. And for me, the thing that I found really cool was your compostable bags that these teas come in, right? Um, And you say that you are 100% sustainable company. And I think it really does live up to that. Um, And if you want to talk a little bit more about that, like about reducing your footprint um, on the environment. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for bringing this up. Um, Being a zero waste company is something that I am 100% committed to. And it's it's an area of the business where I'm unwilling to compromise. Because just speaking from, you know, personal uh, and moral ethics, I just think that there is so much waste within the consumer packaged goods space. When you walk into any store, any retail store or grocery store, probably 95% of all the packaging is single use plastics. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I feel relatively lucky and blessed to be working with a product like tea that's so light, it's easy to handle, it's fast and easy to ship. And so I don't have nearly as many constraints as some other types of food products where maybe they have to use plastic in order to package their goods. Um, But tea is one that is pretty flexible. And so when I was looking for packaging initially, I had 
several different options and compostable was the one that I decided to go for. Uh And so I was really, really excited to find a packaging partner that could make these pouches that were going to be backyard compostable where you can stick it in your soil and within six months it'll naturally degrade. Or if you have some sort of home compost system with like little worms, you know, they'll eat up, eat it up. (laughs) Um, And so this was really exciting to me. And when I first received the pouches, I was almost in disbelief because it looks and feels so much like plastic. I had to test it for myself just to make sure. So I actually tested it, um, in my backyard just on its own and then I went to a friend's house who does have the whole real worm system set up uh-huh. and I fed it to the worms and it, <laughs> it actually works so that's why um on the on the pouches now you'll see a little a little sign that says compost me I'm worm food <laughs> yeah yeah no, I got a worm bin I'm ready to throw mine in when I'm done <laughs> oh exciting <laughs> now I love your your uh, I was noodling around on your uh, website a little bit, and I, I love your infographics. And you know, you have a couple about the tea industry, the way it has been run, as well as how you do it. And then one thing that jumped out for me was how you break down the pricing of your tea. That um, it's a little more expensive than people are used to, but you you explain mm-hmm. why. So so all these things that we've been talking about: the single origin, the whole leaf, the sustainability. All that affects your prices. So prices are a little higher than what people are expecting. But how do you figure out how to price your teas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love it when people ask me about this because I want to be as transparent as possible. So on our website, we talk about, you know, what is the commodity price of tea? What is fair trade price? And we have some examples. And this, you know, differs by region to region. Um, But then also what is our uproot price that we pay? And on average, we're paying 20 to 100 times X, the commodity price for tea. And all of that is determined by our farm partners directly. So our farmers tell us exactly what it costs them and what they would like to be paid for for this particular crop. And every year and every harvest might be slightly different, but Mm. we get a sense of them um, ahead of time and we follow the harvest schedules really closely. And then from there, you know, I have to take into account all of the um, additional cogs and expenses it takes to run my business and what we can expect to to do in terms of meeting consumer demand as well. And so, but really, we always start from what is the farmer asking for? And I really believe in empowering the farmers because they know best what inputs are necessarily are necessary to produce this tea sustainably. And when I say sustainably, it means being able to produce this crop for centuries to come. Yeah. Um, And tea is such an ancient crop, as you mentioned from the beginning, you know, it's been growing um, for thousands and thousands of years. And before the Industrial Revolution, um, farmers were growing regeneratively because if they didn't grow regeneratively, they would not have this crop in the future. But I think because of a lot of modern mass um, production, agricultural methods, uh, a lot of that has been lost in order Mm -hmm. to have short-term gains. And when plants are not grown regeneratively, that causes soil to degrade, that causes the environment and the natural biodiversity to disappear. And um, you won't be able to grow the same crop at that same rate for years to come. 
And so I really, that's why I really lean on the farmers to tell me what they, uh, what, what they need in order to expect continued harvest on their land for, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We need them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Cindy was so generous to send some tea to us. And of course, in the past, I've tried her other teas as well. So thank you, Cindy. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we get brewing, um, what are some tips on brewing like the perfect cup of tea for you? Like what's the perfect temperature? How long? And it really depends on the teas too, right? And how much tea you put in it. Yeah. Um, and what are mm-hmm. we also looking for in the taste of tea and certain teas? Yes. Great question. So as with, uh, you know, the way that a lot of coffee connoisseurs will tell you, it depends on all of those things that you just mentioned. And it varies um, from tea to tea, uh, which is why with every pouch of uproot teas, we have suggested brewing instructions on the back of the pouch. So I try to make this as easy and accessible for um, anyone to participate in. So it'll give you the suggested serving size for one cup of tea. It'll tell you the ideal water temperature and how many minutes to steep the tea for. And so um, as a a general rule for green teas, I like to steep the tea at a lower than boiling water temperature. Um, For reference, 212 Fahrenheit is boiling. So our suggestion for the Sencha green tea, which is a very delicate and mild Japanese green tea, uh, the suggested brewing temperature is around 176, so it's mm. it's pretty cool. It's a lot, I think, cooler than most people expect. Um, and then we want to steep it for about a minute or two, uh, not too long, or else the tea gets more bitter and astringent. Mm. And, uh, you know, about one teaspoon for a regular cup size is what I would recommend. So when you boil water, you boil it, and then do you, do you count to 100, or <laughs> how do you get it done? Oh, great question. Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, if you don't have a kettle that has a temperature gauge on it already, then I would suggest, as you said, bring the water to boiling, and kind of depending on how much water you have in the pot, right, um, the time that you want to wait will, will vary a little bit. But 176 is actually my... Um, my method for knowing when it's ready is I dip my finger in the water really fast. <laughs> and if it doesn't hurt me, but it's still hot, like that's around the right temperature that you want. <laughs> okay, good to know. The good old finger test. All right. Yes, the finger test. And then, so for, for one scoop of tea, how many how many cups can we get out of that one, t- one scoop? That's another great question. So on all of our teas, you can re-steep the teas two to three times afterwards. So you make your first cup and then you can make two to three more after that. And I think part of the magic of loose leaf tea is seeing how the flavor profile changes between different cups. And actually in, um, in tea culture, people usually say the second and the third cups are the most delicious cups. So you know, don't, don't forget to re-steep. Yeah. So, so, okay. So we got, um, Kim, did you get sent the same one? I got, I got sent hojicha. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So I actually haven't opened mine yet because I want to save it for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am actually having the black tea right now. Ah, okay. So mine is from Kyoto, Japan. 
and they're hand-picked leaves. And so I I went ahead and made it myself earlier because uh, I'm in a little COVID cave right now in isolation. <laughs> so, so I have mine ready to go here, but you you ready to do a little tasting? So what am I looking for with uh, hojicha, uh, Cindy? So with the hojicha, um, what's special about that one is it's a roasted green tea, so it has an extra level of oxidation. It also includes not only the tea leaves, but also the tea stems I noticed in it. that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so hojicha is one of my favorites. It's a nuttier tea in terms of taste. It, this one is specifically roasted over hot charcoal, and so you might get some notes of that charcoal taste as well. Um, but I really, I love hojicha so much, and I'm so happy to see hojicha growing in popularity in yes. the US, especially in urban centers. Yes. I think a lot of cafes are offering it as a latte now. I love hojicha too. I drank so much of it in college because I had Japanese housemates, so they just have it mm. in the pantry, and I was like, "It is this." Yeah, so, it's good. so good. Do you have a favorite thing to to pair with it? I love having hojicha with any carbs. <laughs> I think the roasted flavor, you know, because I think hojicha might be one of the teas that's closest to the flavor profile of coffee. Yeah. And whenever I have coffee, you know, I want to have like a croissant or like some bread or or something to go with it. So I love having any 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 sweet carb with my hojicha. What about you, Kim? I'm actually the same, but I was thinking more of like an avocado toast. Mm. of some mm. sorts or like a smoked salmon toast <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there's a there's definitely an earthiness to it not the not the sweetness that you would get with the black tea though yeah mm -hmm. it's a, a little bit of a darker taste i would say mm -hmm. um but uh, you know at all these cafes that are now serving hojicha lattes it's been really cool to see they're I've seen, been seeing some brown sugar or steamed yes. milk with the hojicha, which I think is really mm. lovely. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a good mix with the hojicha too. Like maybe even like condensed milk. <laughs> That's my go-to um, as, you know, <laughs> I think it's just so good. Because I'm a huge fan of like Hong Kong milk teas. And I think that's kind of where oh, that yeah. love comes yeah, from yeah, yeah. with like condensed milk and um evaporated milk yeah mm. now now you say this on your website too but the the difference between green tea and black tea is the fermentation yes so it is the fermentation or the oxidation process so black teas are fully oxidized and green teas can there's a lot of variance actually and it's also been really fun to learn more about the ways that different regions will process mm. their teas so, for example, in Japan, green teas um, get their flavor through steaming, whereas in China, a lot of places, um, you know, and it varies within the country as well, sure. but in most tea producing regions in China, they get green teas through pan firing. So they have a hot pan and they're basically like cooking it um, really fast over mm. this heat. Um, and so that's why Japanese green teas and Chinese green teas also taste really different and look really different as well. I had a question for you, yeah. Cindy. Um, your thoughts yeah. on like alcoholic teas or like mixing alcohols and teas. Typically it's like a cold mm -hmm. drink of some sort mm -hmm. or like a cocktail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I was actually really, really excited this past August. I was able to participate in the Asian American International Film Festival in New York, and we served uh, alcoholic tea cocktails um, to the crowd, which was super fun. And for that, we made this, uh, we, we called it a Sentra Solace, and we used elderflower liqueur with uh, vodka that we were partnering with, um, in addition to honey and lemon with our Abruti's Sentra. And it was so, so delicious and was definitely a hit at the event. Um, and since then, I've just been experimenting with a, a bunch of different cocktails uh, with the teas. Mm. It sounds almost too smooth, though. <laughs> you can get yourself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other favorite additives to tea that you, we've talked about? Honey, we've talked about some other things. But what's, what's kind of one that, that people might not think of as something that you could add to tea? Great question. Um, I'm such a purist that I just, right. I just drink <laughs> by itself because it I the love best, the right? flavor. Yeah, I love the flavor so much. But one thing that I, I think people might not think of when they have their teas at home is mixing different teas together and making your own blends yes. at home because you know mm. oftentimes people will have several different tea options at home and i love doing some sort of caffeinated tea with a non-caffeinated or herbal tea together so for example i was talking about my um our whole chamomile blossoms before with our vermont farm partner i love actually combining the chamomile and with something like a delicate sencha together because you get the floral and the sweet, full, crisp notes from the chamomile, but then you have this very like earthy, umami, seaweed, um, green tea. And I think that tastes so good. And a lot of people might not really necessarily think about mixing what they already have at home. Making another case for whole leaf teas. You can't do that with bags. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. All right, Cindy Lee, you have survived our difficult questions. It is now time for our lightning round. Let's see, Kim, you want to alternate these with me, or how do you want? You want to do it all? It's up to you. Yeah. Um. Well, we wanted to know what your favorite book, movie, or show about tea is. Ooh. Okay. Oh, I have so many to choose from. Oh, okay. Oh, this is so tough. Okay, I'll actually, uh, I'm going to answer the question, but also not answer the question because I actually have uh, another podcast to recommend about Ah, tea. Um, There's a podcast called the Tea History Podcast with Lasso Montgomery, and he really goes into, for any tea nerds out there, this is the (laughs) best because he really goes deep into the history of tea. And it's so educational and informative and really helped me when I was learning about, you know, the roots of where tea actually comes from, as well as telling a lot of interesting stories about, you know, how tea was first discovered and how it got transported in the early days. Like this was like BC many, many, many years in, in ancient China. Um, so that that's one of my favorites about tea. All right. Uh, th- we might have already talked about this a little bit, but do you have a favorite way to use tea other than to drink it? Oh, yeah. I love 
Chinese tea eggs. It's something that I grew up eating a lot of, and Uh my mom would always make a huge pot of them and use so much tea. And I think just the the smell of the tea, the soy sauce, and the the eggs, um, you know, just soaking in them, it it just brings back a lot of nostalgia for me. That is one of the best parts about those Seven Elevens overseas. They have that pot of tea (laughs) eggs right next to the register. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I have a question for you. So, have you ever had like English high tea? Yes. So, thoughts on your English high tea experience, like the tea, the food, the company, like what do you think about it? I'm going to say I like the experience of it because it's just anytime you're having shareable bites with people, I like that experience. But I'm going to have to say, based on my one time having English high tea, I thought the sandwiches and the food was not very good. For the price of paint. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought the tea was also not very good. I think (laughs) a lot of, but I think there are also, you know, different purposes for it. The British love to add cream and milk to their teas because they tend to, in my opinion, overbrew it and oversteep it to the point where it's pretty bitter. So if you don't put milk in it, it tastes kind of bad. Um, So I will say, I don't think the tea that I had was very good, but the experience of just sharing bites and uh, sitting down with friends is something I always enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I I don't care for it much either, but my uh it is a fun experience to go with little girl like mm-hmm. I have two little girls. It it's mm-hmm. a fun experience to take little girls out, dress up, pinkies up as you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we like to end each episode by asking our guests to think about an infatuation. Uh, infatuation is anyone in the Asian community, living or deceased that has inspired you. Uh, when Kim was on our show, she picked the ever-charming Eric Nam to be her infatuation. <laughs> Cindy Lee, who is your infatuation? Great pick. <laughs> My infatuation has to be Ali Wong. Mm-hmm. She is my hero, and I'm just so happy whenever I see her kicking butt, doing something new on screen, being such a great source of representation for the Asian community, and she just makes me laugh. Yeah. I actually got to see her live uh, in San Francisco a couple of times. Yeah. So, yeah, always a good time at her shows. Yeah, you're not the first person to pick her. She is amazing. <laughs> so smart and just talented, but it, but really, really in the business, you know? Like, she's been writing and doing things, and she knows people, and she's got connections. So, yeah, we just need more. I just need more of her. <laughs> All right, great pick, great pick. Well, uh, I guess that does it for our episode on tea. Thanks, Kim, for helping me find uh, Cindy. Of course, of course. And Cindy, thank you for coming along. Cindy Lee, the TEO and founder of Uproot Teas. Thanks for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge and just experiences. Yeah, absolutely. This was so fun. Thank you for the tea trivia Uh and for sharing so many fun stories about tea. I learned something today. Awesome. Um. I also wanted to share a discount code with oh. any listeners. So would you be able to add that to the end of the episode? Absolutely. So everyone out there, make sure you go visit Uproot Tees. You'll learn a lot on the website, just uproottees.com. And on social media, it will be at uproot.tees. And Cindy is offering Infatuation Podcast listeners a discount. So if you get to the checkout in the code box, you can type in 
AsianPod10 and get a 10% discount on all your purchases. Uh, business is going well. People are stocking up for the winter season. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so great that tea is also a very seasonal product. So everyone loves to have a warm cup of tea as it's getting colder outside. So that combined with holidays, it's a great time for us. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks so much for offering our listeners a discount. Everyone should go try it out. Uh, there's a couple different ways to do it. You can get just the tea itself or you can get a stainless steel strainer and some tea like Cindy sent us. There are three packs to give a couple different varieties a try. But yeah, go over to Uproot Teas check them out and bring some home for the holidays perfect <laughs> gift for people i'm sure they'll appreciate the story that goes along with it as well i was just looking at the back of my package and there's a qr code that says scan for stories so i'm gonna go give that a try later so i think it's it's just neat when you know that your product is clean is coming from a good place you're helping the farmers out and you're helping out just our planet <laughs> it's just you feel good by doing something like that and it's definitely something that I think I'm going to be giving to a lot of people this holiday season. So everybody, go get some tea, go curl up with a, with a good book or a podcast or a show and, and enjoy tea during the season. So thanks again, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you, Cindy. And of course, thanks to all of you listening out there. We hope that you learned something. If you did, can you do two things for me? First of all, Go click on Uproot Teas and get yourself some of the best tea you've ever had. And if you like what you heard, you can go over to our pods page over on Spotify or Apple and give us a rating. Uh, it really helps us get into the right ears. It helps other people find us. So thank you so much. So on behalf of Cindy, Kimberly, and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Take care. Bye.